Well, hello, and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem. Wait. What? You forgot our podcast, Fake Music. Oh, man. Okay. Do it. Okay. You know what? Maybe should I do, like, uh, fake podcast uh, air guitar? Yes. All right. I thought you were going to be the drums. Oh! There you go. There we go. Fake podcast music. I got it. All right. Once again. Oh, have you forgot who we If you forgot where we were. We're listening to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, and other random mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie. And Jen. And Jen, what do you have to talk about today? Bass School Massacre of 1927. Okay. I've got something that might go along with it. What is it? Eloise Hospital, which was a, a large general hospital, but also a mental asylum in Westland, Michigan. And I'm of the age, I don't know if they still do it because I'm middle-aged now, but when I was a teenager, my cousin Jay and a few other cousins used to go to the tunnels underneath the psychiatric hospital because they had several buildings and there's tunnels underground that lead from building to building. Way too creepy. Yeah. Well, so I didn't go. But my cousin Jay went and it was like the thing to do. That was like the man thing to do back in the the 90s. Yeah, I'm not so sure. Yeah, I never went. I'm a scaredy cat. Well, you go to haunted houses. Yeah, but they can't touch you. Yeah, but I'm too scared to even go to a haunted house. However, I love scary movies, especially from the 80s and 70s. I really like 70s scary movies, too. I know. To me, that's not scary, but you go to a place where their intention is to frighten you. Yeah, but still, I know. I walk in there, and I know they can't touch me. And you just got to walk really fast. If you get scared, you just keep, you walk fast. I would need one of those, like, little tinkle pads. When they that we, that you use when you, that women use if they have incontinence issues, because one scare I'm gonna piss myself. One of these days it's gonna happen. I'm um, just gonna now I'm gonna have to take you piss myself from fear. <laughs> this would be great. Yeah, but you go first. You go first. You tell me about the massacre. All right. Okay. Bath school massacre. Andrew Kehoe was born in Michigan. He went to school to be an electrical engineer. He moved to Missouri for some time and returned to Michigan when his mother died to help his father on his farm. His father remarried and one day in 1911, as his stepmother was lighting their oil stove, it exploded, catching her on fire. Andrew was there and threw a bucket of water on his stepmother, increasing the flames and she died as a result of her injuries. Yeah, I just want to let it be known that you never throw water on an oil fire. Because great. what it does is oil and water don't mix, as we know. Mm-hmm. And it pushes the oil around and it makes it spread. And that's how stepmoms die. Yeah. So <laughs> I think I like to think that someone who's smart enough to be an electrical engineer might know that. It, were people suspicious? Yeah, the community believed Andrew had something to do with the explosion, which I thought, too. He's smart yeah, enough to know. Yeah, either the or he didn't put her out quite right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, maybe one of those, like, oh, okay, I'm trying to put you out, but really just standing there. Yeah. <laughs> right. In 1912, Andrew marries a woman named Ellen. Poor Ellen. Well, the, sometimes, wait, when you feel like, because you're about to tell me he's a crazy dude. Mm-hmm. When you hear about crazy dudes and their wives, don't you wonder, like, what happened to this poor woman that made her look at this dude and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to hitch my wagon to that for the rest of my life? I'm thinking she just didn't know. Okay. You know, you don't know until thinking, you're, like, in it, and then how do you get out? Well, especially 1920s we're at right now. Oh, 1912. 
Oh, yeah. So you're not getting out. You're not getting out. You know, you're stuck. You actually, at this point. You know, point, you're screwed. Yeah, I was say, your this, father probably married you off to the asshole. And then you met him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how it went back in the day. Yeah. Okay. So after they got married, they relocated to Bath Township in 1918. Bath Township in Michigan? Yep, Bath Township is outside of Lansing. It was a farming community of about 300 residents at the time. Andrew was known as a frugal man, kind for the most part, but had a dark, angry side if he didn't get his way. He reminds me of those people, like, triggered, like you see on the internet, like, he gets triggered, and he just Mm -hmm. goes crazy, like, oh, he's a nice guy, until he goes crazy. Yep, or in a situation that happened where his neighbor's dog got into his yard. Okay. And barked, so he went outside and shot and killed the dog. What? Yeah. He also beat his horse to death because it wasn't listening to his instructions. So that's the guy. They're like, he's pretty nice. I mean, every now and then he'll kill an animal. Yeah, but he's... Without wanting it He's for kind for the most part. Okay. Except for a few things. You know, back in the day, we must have been a little nicer on our neighbors. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think they would say that just because they would be afraid he would shoot them. Right? Yeah. (laughs) So even though the community knew these facts about Andrew, he was allowed to be a trustee on the local school board. Okay. I was confused. Well, they said he's mostly nice other than the temper fits where you kill Mm -hmm. other beings. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're going to put him in a school with a whole bunch of kids. Yeah. It was said he was difficult to deal with and always wanted his way. Fast forward in 1926, things started to go downhill for Andrew. He lost the election to be town clerk. He shouldn't have been surprised since he, acted he like was so it. difficult. Yeah, to work with. His home was being foreclosed on, and his wife was ill with what they believed to be tuberculosis. Which everybody knows there was no cure for. Yeah. Yeah. So during this time, Andrew was neglecting his farm, dismantling items like his barbed wire fencing. Later, it was found he was purchasing large amounts of items for bomb making. He purchased a gun. Uh oh. And then the this is not good when somebody's like on the edge, losing everything. They're like, oh, um, yeah, I'm going to lose my house. My wife is sick and dying. I lost my job. I'm going to buy a gun. Yeah. <laughs> And the local school contacted him because they needed some electrical work done. So they asked Andrew to complete this work the summer of 1926. So he was alone in the school throughout the summer. And during this time, he planted bombs throughout the school basement. Same year, May 27th. A whole bunch of just crazy stuff happens. Andrew kills his wife, blows up his farmhouse with his wife inside. Drives to the school. During this time, the school blows up. As he's driving to the school, blows up? Yeah. Wow. Pulls up to the school in his truck. He calls over the super school superintendent. Detonates his truck bomb, killing him, the superintendent, several people nearby, injuring bystanders. Well, wasn't there people who survived the original blast that get killed by the truck blast? Correct. Jesus. Yep. That's like the worst type of evil. Like they survive one blast to get killed by a different one. 45 deaths, 58 non-fatal injuries. Four of the deaths were adults. The rest were children. How many deaths again? 45. Okay. So 41 children died. Dang. 
after the explosion and they're going through the school, they actually found 500 pounds of unexploded dynamite at the school. So only half his plan worked. Yeah. Thank God. That's a lot of children. Mm-hmm. Crazy guy. That's crazy. And isn't that one of the biggest school massacres in all of U.S. history or something like that? I thought I read that. I'm not sure. I'm going to look it up. And in the show notes, I will put the answer. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, and if anybody wants to know how um, podcasting works, you'll have to ask Jen because all I know is she does like the majority of the work and it looks like magic to me. The few things that I do are, uh, I'm a list maker. I always make lists of things I want to do, podcasts I'm doing so Jen doesn't do them and I send them to her. Giving me lists. I give you I lists. I throw them out. Lists of things that we've done, lists of things that we're going to do. I feel bad that I don't read them. Um, no, you're fine because you keep trying to tell me how to do stuff on the computer and, um, all I hear is chirps and crackles. I don't actually hear what you're saying. I don't, I don't get what you're doing. I don't understand. When you're like, I was coding for the website, instantly I blacked out. I don't know what you said after that. (laughs) So I get it. But the one thing I do is the show notes. And if we try, if we do say, um, you know, we'll add a link. I really do try to add a link. Almost always. So what do you got for us? The Eloise Hospital. It was a lot of different hospitals, but everybody remembers it. Well, in this area, when I say everybody, I mean people who live around Westland. Um, (laughs) Remember it for being a mental hospital. Okay. So, um, it's located in Westland, Michigan. It started out as a poorhouse slash farm. And I had to look up exactly what a poorhouse was because I wanted to make sure I know. Okay. So, a poorhouse is like um, a government-run building where people who aren't able to live on their own live. So, it's basically like shelters. Okay. It was in service as a hospital from 1832 to 1986, so like 150-something years. In 1832, it was called the, and it went through a lot of different name changes, so I'm going to try to entertain you with them. Okay. 1832 is called the Wayne County Poorhouse, and it was located um, about two miles outside of the Detroit city limits. In 1834, there was land purchased in Nankin Township, which is Westland, which is where its current location is. In 1872, it was called the Wayne County Alms House. In 1886, it was called the Wayne County House. And during this time, it's a poorhouse. Mostly a poorhouse and a farm as well. Okay. So I think they're farming and using the stuff that they're farming to survive. Um, it opened in July 20th in 1984 as an asylum and hospital. I just want to let you know. Yeah. If I lived back then uh-huh. and we had to farm for our food, we would die. You would die? Just to let you know. Farming is one of the, the few I things I had to anything. do. Um, I would die when I realized that you can't go to the restaurants and, it, and you had to cook all your food. And I wouldn't be able to subside, um, to be able to live on cold cereal and sandwiches like I do. Like, if I could only eat the food that I cooked, I would die. Because I'm not cooking. But you could grow it. I could grow it. So I could cook it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah you could cook it and I could grow it. Otherwise, I, I would die. I'm not. I'm not cooking. I don't care. We'll just have to die. <laughs> like, All right. So it turned into a hospital. So in 1894, and it stays a, a hospital until 1896. But it's only a mental hospital, straight up, just a mental hospital for less than 100 years. So it was named after Elise Davcock, who was a daughter of a Detroit postmaster. And at the time, there were some laws, and maybe there's still about. I don't know about naming cities with short names. And so her dad suggested her name. They're like, why not? In 1983, it had three divisions. The Eloise Hospital, which was a mental hospital. The Eloise Infirmary, which was a poorhouse. And the Eloise Sanitarium, which was a TB, a tuberculosis hospital. And I'm not sure when it was added, but it also has its own graveyard slash yards. 
It has yeah. it buried people in more than one graveyard, but I don't know for sure. But I think just one of them is just known just for them. But I think they also used annexed graveyards in other places to to put people in. And under that, I wrote, never trust a hospital with its own graveyard, especially if it has more than one graveyard, because that's uncomfortable. Like, you're so used to people dying, you have a place to put them. That's uncomfortable. I don't think I would go to a hospital that had a graveyard, period. Right? It's just discomforting. Yeah. The first person was buried in 1910, and the last person was buried in January of 1948. So are these people still buried? This is still a graveyard in Westland. Yep, and the um, the all the tombstones are only number markers. There's no names. So if you're patient number zero zero seven nine four, that's the only thing that'd be on your marker is zero zero seven nine four. No names, no nothing. So do we know who those people are today? So no, there's actually um, I don't have this written down, but I did remember reading uh, more than one occasion. And when I was looking this up, there are two women that were working on cleaning up the graveyards and got in trouble by the city. Why? I don't know because assholes. But I'm like I'm all for cleaning up a graveyard. It's still a graveyard. But it, from my, my understanding from the pictures that I saw, it looks just like about the size of a brick, and it's got numbers on it, and that's your grave marker. So, do you think that the people that were buried there were buried there because they didn't have family to take them, or even if they had family, you were just think, automatically put in this graveyard with a number? I don't know. I'd like to think that if you had someone that would that could take you, they would. But since it was like a poorhouse and insane asylum, I'm gonna guess a lot of people didn't get claimed. Yeah. So I did a little bit of math on that. They said there's about 7,100 burials that came out of Eloise. <laughs> okay. And that was just under 38 years because in January of 1948, they stopped burying people. And so you can't even count 1948. So it's, I still use 38 years in my math, but it should be more like what, 37. What did they do with them if they weren't burying them? I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if there were 7,100 burials, 38 years... That means there were about 186.8 deaths a year, 15.5 deaths in a month, which equals a death about every two days, give or take. So, like, every two days, minimum, someone's dying. And that's if there's no peaks or valleys. That's that's if one day, you know, two people don't die, and the next day, yeah. That's just Hmm. if it was consistently, like, every other day, about one and a half, you know, so much people die. After the burial stopped, they started using the bodies for dissection and medical training. So, people didn't stop dying they stopped getting buried which means there's more than 7,100 deaths on the grounds it peaked Eloise peaked during the Great Depression and the depression was from 1929 to 1939 and sure enough 1939 is the last year of Eloise's peak um it started okay so it really started growing in 1929 and became almost like a self-sufficient city on its own the whole complex area they had their own fire department their own police department their own railroad trolley station sewage plant bakeries barns crops i mean it was its own place they had a schoolyard for children whose parents died of cholera and had the poorhouse be their home so it's like an orphanage it had its own zip code. That's how big it was. It was the largest asylum in the country. It provided x-rays for the like community of Michigan. It had the first kidney dialysis unit in the state of Michigan. They pioneered music therapy, but that wasn't until like the 1950s. This isn't during the boom. And in its prime, Eloise had 78 buildings and 902 acres of land. That's big. Freaking huge. And that's why they had the underground tunnels to take patients in between the different buildings. 
because you have the 78 buildings and 902 acres of land. So that's not, you know, the peak ends 1939 just as the Depression ends. By then, Eloise had a reputation for violence, questionable conditions, misconduct, and neglect of patients. There were patients who fashioned shanks, either for offense or defense. You know, I don't know. I just saw pictures of them. It could be defense, as staff were known to beat unruly patients, and people were placed in large groups with other mentally ill patients. Some approved treatments were electrotherapy, lobotomies, Insulin shock therapy, which is where they give you so much insulin, they put you in a coma or it could kill you or it makes you delusional. And sensory deprivation, where you're locked in a room with no stimulus whatsoever. It's completely dark. You can't hear anything. You can't see anything. And twirling chairs. And I wrote underneath that, what is twirling chairs? I didn't know. I looked it up. It is a form of therapy that is often called rotation therapy and was created by Charles Darwin's grandfather. So Charles Darwin, the guy, the father of evolution, Mm -hmm. his grandfather created this therapy. And it's where he would spin a patient into a chair until they were sick and everything in their body voided. So you puked, you pissed, you shit yourself. And then you were so sick and messed up that you slept for a long time. Because his focus was on sleeping and rest. And by the time he spun the shit out of you and you puked and shat and pissed all over yourself, you were exhausted and you wanted to lay down. Yeah. That's ridiculous. No, that's the approved therapy. Okay? They also had... I know, right? They Well, he talked about how they felt rested afterwards. I'm like, because your body's been wrung out. You yeah. Just, yeah, terrible things have happened to you. He, They also used what they call television therapy, which is like a form of neglect. It's just where you put a patient in front of a TV and then leave them. I'd be okay with that. Right? Well, what if, what if part of the therapy was you don't get a remote? <laughs> and you're just stuck there with whatever is playing. That would be bad. Um, One of the really bad things was Eloise was overcrowded, which meant some patients slept on the floor. Some had to bring their own mattresses. There's a block, and each block was about 125 women for this one area. And they had to share five toilets. So that's about 25 25 people per toilet. Wow. That seat's always going to be warm. That's horrifying. There were really unsanitary conditions there. People were not separated by their illness. So a depressed housewife, a delusional, paranoid schizophrenic, and a Down syndrome teen teenager would all be together. And, you know, some of these, your Down syndrome is not a mental illness. It's just how people were treated. So the n- nurses and doctors often used leather restraints. Inmates were chained to a wall. Some patients were given passes to leave the grounds. And some were picked up and fined by the police. And some people just straight disappeared, never to be seen again. They don't know if they escaped or something happened to them. They're just never seen again. In 1945, it's named the Wayne County General House Hospital and Infirmary. In 1958, the farm's operations ceased. So they stopped doing all the farming and all the crops and stuff. Evacuation of large psychiatric buildings began in 1973. By 1974, it had two divisions, the Wayne County General Hospital and the Wayne County Psychiatric Hospital. The psychiatric hospital closed in 1977. In 1979, it was officially called the Wayne County General Hospital. 1986, the general hospital closed. That's it. It currently only runs with four of the 78 buildings standing. It was up for sale for $1.5 million, but was sold for... A dollar, probably. A dollar. To be because made, who would want to buy it? To be made into a housing complex. Yeah, and I wrote, don't that. live there if you've ever seen a scary movie. If you've ever seen even one scary movie in your entire life, do not live there. People were tortured. There was mental illness. Mm-hmm. There was probably beating and raping. And plus, your yard is a graveyard. Yes. And I wrote, why is this of interest? Okay, because it's considered haunted. Okay, mm-hmm. it's a creepy, abandoned psychiatric hospital. And those, that's just terrifying on its own. So, right now, uh-huh. was it turned into apartments? 
Not yet. It just happened. Oh, this just happened. It just, just sold. It just sold. I actually was looking at this thing about it being on sale. Then I searched a different article and it's like, was sold. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, okay. Okay, so just being in an abandoned psychiatric hospital, that's creepy enough. But when you know that the people that live there were tormented by like mental illness and abuse and neglect, it just makes it worse. And the tunnel, um, tunnels underground were for employees to use to transfer patients to different buildings. Uh, and I wrote down here, I talked about when I was a teenager, my cousin Jay used to like explore the tunnels with his friends. It was like the thing, the macho thing to do. Like the, it's what the dudes do to test each other. And people down in the tunnels, you know, because people do go down there, reported finding medical waste such as body parts and jars and creepy snapshots of the patients. There are claims that people can hear moaning, screams, and roars within the buildings and the tunnels. A building employee recently claimed children in the building had seen a man in shorts sitting in a staircase. A woman wearing white has been seen on the roof. Um, these buildings are often, and the tunnels are, you know, when I was a kid, it was something that was a challenge. Now there's like ghost hunters and stuff down there. You can find YouTube videos of people recording what they believe is paranormal contact. I'll probably pick, pick a couple of them and add them to the show notes, some, some of the cooler ones. So there was a horror movie filmed there in 2014, and I think it's just called Eloise. And all the articles I kept reading kept talking about how it was unreleased, that it was recorded there in 2014 and unreleased. Now the other day I was sitting at a break with my coworkers, and I was talking to Jamie and Brian. They watch scary movies too. Jamie's really interested in Eloise, and we were talking about different things about Eloise. And she's told me she saw the movie, so it must be released, no matter what I read on the internet. Mm -hmm. She saw the movie, and she was disappointed because she thought it was going to be about the hospital, but it wasn't about the hospital. It was just filmed there. So she didn't think the movie was that uh -huh. good because she had it didn't meet her expectation. So I can't tell you whether or not the movie is actually any good. I can just tell you it did not meet Jamie's expectation. We're going to have to look it up. Now we have to. But that is the, the well, scary story of Eloise. I hope they're going to, like, then just knock everything down and build a new building. But I still wouldn't live there. We should I the road still would not. So we can see this place. Oh, it's not even 15 minutes away. Okay. <laughs> road trip. Damish Knav, we should be fine. Right? I used to drive by. I'm not by so it. sure. It's scary. I used to drive by it every time I visited my friends, Robert and Jenny, back in the day. And every time I would drive, drive by it, I would stare at it like, ooh, that's a scary Eloise hospital. Hmm. Yes, you've been listening to Michigan and Other Mayhem with Allie. And Jen. Connect with us at michiganandothermayhem.com to join the conversation, access show notes, find site links, correct us when necessary, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Bye-bye now.